0: You're listening to Alicast, a deep dive into innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payments, and digital entertainment, brought to you by Alibaba Group. I'm Ali Zilla's Managing Editor, Alison tudor Aykroyd. In this episode of Alicast, we're joined by James Yang, a partner at global consultancy Bain & Co., to talk about the latest China e-commerce trends. James has over a decade of consulting and industry experience, specializing in customer strategy and omnichannel redesign, among other areas. Every year, Bain writes a preview of 11.11 Global Shopping Festival, also known as Double Eleven or Singles Day in China. During this conversation, you'll hear why Bain thinks China, the world's second largest retail market, is entering a new stage of development and what that means for brands. James, thank you for joining us on AliCast.
1: Thanks, Alison. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here.
0: Just to set the scene, how important is China to the retail industry globally and how important will it become in the future?
1: Yeah, no question. I think without a shadow of a doubt, China is one of the most important consumer markets and the most important consumer story in the world today. It's the second largest retail market, right? So you just go by the numbers, 44 trillion RMB in retail sales in 2021. Just getting to this point has been an incredible path. Although there are a bunch of headwinds that you know China is not immune to in the short to midterm that you see around globally, but I think many believe Including myself, China is in a great position to grow over the long term. It has 1.3 billion consumers. It has a rapidly rising middle class. It has an urbanizing population. I think that those are all just some great factors. And I think just to add a little bit on top of this as well, right, um, the more interesting angle from my side, especially when you look at the retail side of things, is just how innovative the market has been. China has also been this almost like a weather vane over the past couple of years, especially on e-commerce growth, O2O and everything around it. So a wealth of innovation has followed this from fulfillment, supply chain, you know how you handle customers omnichannel wise. So retailers and brands, I think China is not just a great growth story, but it's also a story of learning as well for other markets.
0: That's absolutely right. I often hear from brands how a window on China helps feedback and improve innovation in their home markets. But following on from what you just said, how relevant then is 1111 to global brands?
1: Yeah, I think 1111 is definitely that litmus test, right? You go from the total retail market and the e-commerce being so huge in China, I think overall E-commerce penetration is already at 30%, right? So it's one of the highest in the world. And so when you kind of double click on that, shopping festivals within that have played a huge role, a critical role. Um, double 11 is the biggest one of them all. Single largest online shopping festival, bigger than Black Friday, Cyber Mondays in the, in the US. There's many more festivals and there's been a proliferation of that since double 11, you know, 618, 520, double 12, right? Big and small. But if you just kind of think about the two largest ones, um, Double Eleven and 618, those two festivals alone already account for 12, 13 percent of the total annual e-commerce GMV. So it's extremely high. It's a very big part of the deal of retail in China, and it's a great litmus test of what Chinese consumers are feeling.
0: But let's face it, it has been, as you said earlier, a turbulent year for China retail. As you said in your report China is entering a new positive stage in its development. What is that stage?
1: We're at what we at Bain call the fourth stage, which is really around the battle of share of loyalty and battle of wallet. To put that into context, it might help a little bit for us to just walk through with everyone listening on just how we got here and why it's important. You just think about that growth trajectory, right, of the e-commerce world, um, early 2000s up to around 2015. The game was really about user penetration. E-commerce was in its infancy. Every user you reached was a new user that's shopping online for the very first time in their lives. And it didn't really matter the quality or the type of the consumer. As long as you kept casting the net wider and wider, your growth was assured. But then at some point that has to slow down. The match just dictates you don't have an infinite pool of consumers. I appreciate 1.3 billions a lot, but it's not infinite. So you go into the second stage, which was premiumization. If you want to keep that top line GMB sales growing, but the rate of your user base is declining in growth. The only way to keep it up was just average revenue per user. And what we noticed was the trend wasn't really about getting that person to buy two bottles of shampoo when they could buy one. It was really premiumizing. It was buying that same bottle of shampoo, but buying a better brand, buying a better, more expensive item, one with higher quality. And that actually matched the broader consumer trends that was happening in China. Consumers overwhelmingly wanted to buy better products, imported brands, all these things that kind of go through premiumization. At some point, then, you saw that around 2019, I would say, you saw bigger pool consumers going towards value for money. So there's a polarization of spend, a bifurcation, if you will, and moving into both sides. And so no longer were consumers feeling that the single narrow-mindedness of getting pricier and pricier items was always worth it. So in their less core categories and their less core needs... What they would start doing is they start doing the trade-off. There were just great brands or new ones coming up that had great quality, great attributes, but it just didn't cost as much. When you combine that with COVID coming in around 2020 and kind of impacting it, that was when like what we call and brings us to where we are today for the past two, three years is the fourth stage, that battle of loyalty. Because when all that easy growth goes away, user base is mature. The shoppers are mature. They know what they want. And the only way left for retailers to grow is from each other. Every dollar you gain is a very hard-fought victory, right? It's a big battle. You're competing against other retailers and platforms. And so um, we feel very strongly that the only sustainable way to do that is building up loyalty and stickiness with your consumers.
0: Well, that begs the question, who are the standout players when it comes to nurturing loyalty programs in China? And what type of loyalty programs do you see out there
1: I think first and foremost, right, just on loyalty programs, I don't consider it like a check on the box. Like the fact that you have a loyalty program means you win in loyalty. It's more about what having a loyalty program represents. It means you want to close the distance with you and your customers and your consumers. You want to increase the stickiness and just make them love you as a brand, right, or a retailer and just willing to buy with you more often in a non margin dilutive way. But to go back to your question around loyalty programs. There's a couple that come to mind that that have done really well, especially in the past year or two. The first one really is around membership clubs. So the, the Costco's and Sam's Clubs of the world have done extremely well with members. It's kind of a loyalty program with a different twist, right? Just essentially every single one who shops with you is a member or is part of your program. And what that allows them to do is being very targeted with who they want and who they attract. So and a testament to this is even throughout the COVID period, the past year or two, You saw increase in their footfall, traffic in store, which is quite impressive. And from our study this year, I think another one that comes to mind is I think what you guys have done at Alibaba with the online retailers and 88VIP. I think customers have really engaged and responded to the exclusive perks, being engaged in the wider ecosystem, more tailored customer services, etc. Those kind of attributes are actually the ones that uh, people love about the loyalty program, right? It's not necessarily I'm going to give you a straight coupon and you can get some discount the next purchase.
0: Reading your report, you had surveyed 3,000 consumers across a wide range of Chinese cities. And one finding was that consumers found promotional offers generic. That's what you said. What did you understand by that? And what lessons can brands draw from that observation?
1: Just kind of set the context a little bit. When we say generic, it's not that there's a lack of promotion, right? Actually, it's something quite different. It's more about promotion fatigue. Consumers have been bombarded past couple of years with this hyper consumption cycle, right? The e-commerce growth behind it and all the innovations that come with it. So they're getting it, you know, via text message, via push notifications on their app daily, if not hourly, right? From all brands, all retailers, just on different promotion mechanics, different coupons that can be triggered at different values and combinations. And it's just endless. And so perhaps like the first couple of years, it was exciting. It was like it was like a game, right? When you interviewed those consumers back in the day, it was like there was quite exciting. They bring out their calculator and they figure out the best deal and they feel like they win somehow. Right. Um, but that has obviously withered out and just kind of petered off. There's nothing consumers haven't seen before. And hence what they quote unquote say generic. It's nothing I haven't seen before. But I don't think they're asking for more complicated promotions. Quite contrary, they're asking for simpler promotions. I think more complex promotions are going to turn consumers away. They still want great value, but they want it in simple, easy to understand ways and long lasting ways. And that's what consumers are really seeking now.
0: I saw that you dug into the attitudes of consumers towards five retailers in China that rank high on customer loyalty as measured by the Net Promoter Score. What did you find?
1: Net Promoter Score, for those that don't know, it's something we created at Bain, but it's this serving as a true litmus test of really just how much do consumers love you as a brand, as a retailer. The question behind it is very, very simple. The question is, how likely are you to recommend this retailer to your friends and family, We just rated 1 to 10? And I think the most interesting thing that, that came out of it was trying to understand, if you had like a great MPS, like 50% MPS, what did the customers like about you? And it boiled down to a couple of things. I think the first one was really around product quality. So just having great products, being respectable, authentic. They know what they're getting. I think that's critical, number one. Number two is breadth of assortment, right? So Being able to find what they want and what they need is of utmost importance to them and convenience. They don't want it to be like shuffled in and substituted with other products. And finally, the third one is what we just discussed before was the loyalty program. So they really do feel like that loyalty program makes a difference in how they choose and why I love a certain retailer. And when you kind of put that side by side with what I say, the the rest of the retailers, right? You ask those consumers, what do they like about those guys? And what you'll see is they'll rate them for two things. Number one, low prices, and number two, enticing coupons. When you put those two things side by side, I feel like the lesson becomes so clear, right? It's just one is winning on product quality, loyalty programs, and everything. The other one's just low price. When you put that side aside, it tells you that winning on price alone isn't enough. I mean, it's it's important to be competitive. You can't be priced out of the competition. But it doesn't help you generate that long-term customer loyalty, that lifetime value. And the learning lesson for me is also kind of the history of the shopping festival. I think we've pulled on the pricing lever quite heavily in the past, right, on shopping festivals. And we've kind of grown reliant on that as the engine for growth. But as the user base matures, as we enter the fourth stage of loyalty, we need to think about how to play into the other programs and kind of highlighting other features so that consumers stick with you the rest of the year as well.
0: Thank you so much, James, for your insights. Always a pleasure to chat with you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Alicast. Look out for the second part of our series with James Yang, where he will give you tips on overcoming supply chain log jams and product innovation, all adapted for the China market. If you liked what you heard, please search Alicast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and hit follow. Alicast is produced and edited by Yashan Zhao. At AliZilla, we seek to keep you abreast of the innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payments, and digital entertainment. Thank you, and goodbye for now.